Thanks. Well, we are uh, in a mini-series on the kingdom of God. And today we're going to talk about community and how community directly connects and relates and feeds into this kingdom. Now, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I really struggled to write the sermon this week. And I, I think that's because I talk a lot about this. I've uh, been a member of Coastline for five years, five or six years, and I've preached on community and family at least once a year, every year, at least once, sometimes more. And in the ministries and organizations that I work and serve with in addition to Coastline, family and community, it's actually known as like my life message. I even have a little like... um, motto or or tagline that people know me for, which is family sustains revival. People have even made t-shirts with it. It's, it's, It's my thing. It's what I'm known for, right? And I wholeheartedly believe that. I wholeheartedly believe that family and community are key. They're essential to everything the kingdom is. And so this whole week, I was racking my brain trying to think like, okay, Holy Spirit, well, I gotta be different this time. I gotta, what can I do to make it fresh? What can I do to like make people really catch hold of it? Really be transformed by it? And what I've landed on is I don't actually think you need another talk about how important community is. I don't think you need me to stand up here and tell you again that community is key. It's essential to everything about your Christian walk. I think most, if not all of us, can can recognize that. Recognize how important it is. Just by looking at, at who the Lord is, looking at the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus comes and He's fully God, fully man, but fully God. So he could have done life however he wanted. He could have done ministry whatever he wanted, however he he wanted to do it, right? But, But instead, he chooses these 12 dudes and a handful of women, and he just does life with them for three years. He just walks out life. And yes, epic, incredible, supernatural things happen in those three years. Healings and deliverance and, and, and resurrections and radical teaching. But the vast majority of Jesus's time on earth is just family. It's just creating this community where he invests and he loves and he teaches them and he cries with them and he laughs with them. That's how he does life. That's that's what he models for us. He's a relational God. It's it's who he is. Everything about the Lord is is about connection and relationship and community. Even the the very gospel, the, the thing we, you know, that, that makes us Christians, our foundational truth as believers. It's actually about relationship. The gospel 
doesn't just save you from hell. The gospel is that Jesus came, he died and was resurrected because he wanted eternal relationship with you. That's what it's all about. That he would do all of that because he wants community with you forever. The very heart of who our Lord is, is community. And even if we you know, take a step back and, and don't get too theological about it, we can just look at our own lives. Isn't it nice to have friends? Yeah, it is. It's nice that you know, when I'm having a hard day, I can call someone up. Or someone sends you a, a funny text and, and, oh, this happened and it made me think of you. That's nice. It's a good thing. It's how you're designed. We could even talk biologically and physiologically how important community is. There are countless studies that talk about this that show actually community is central to your physical health and well-being. In fact, there's, there's studies done that show prolonged periods of isolation impact you at a cellular level. Your very cells are designed for community. So we know it's important. And often when you know, we talk about uh, Christian community and, and what that is and, and how the kingdom of God plays into it, we point to the Acts 2 church, the early church. It's, it's kind of seen as the pinnacle of Christian community. So we're going to take a look at it this morning. Now, uh, I'm going to read it to you. Normally it would come on the screens, but we don't have screens. So there are Bibles that are dotted all around. Pick one up. We're going to be in Acts 2. Um, Verse 42 is where we'll start. You can also, I'm sure a lot of you have it on your phone. This is the one time in church I won't be upset if I see you on your phone. So you can bring it up. But I'll read it to you. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. He added to their number every day. Other accounts of this say that thousands were added to their number every day. Thousands. I mean, that's, that's revival, guys. That's what that is. That's that's the kingdom of God breaking out. So there's this connection between community and the kingdom breaking out. And we can see that and we know that. But I look at the world and, and I don't really see that. I don't really see thousands being added to our number every day. It, it is happening around the world. Um, interestingly, it tends to happen where the persecuted church is, that thousands get saved every day, which is a whole other thing we could talk about. But 
I don't see it in Europe. I don't see it in, in Bournemouth. Well, okay, let's, let's rewind. Let's look at what actually led to those thousands being added to their number, right? So it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves. They wholeheartedly gave themselves to those things. It wasn't just a casual interest. It wasn't just, oh, on on Sundays I'm going to be devoted to those things. It wasn't, oh, I'm going to do that because I'm supposed to, or so-and-so told me to, or, or anything like that. No, they were devoted to this. That Greek word there, devoted, it actually means to continually devote yourself. Another translation of that Greek word is to persevere or endure. So the connotation here isn't just they, they, it was a one and done thing, okay, I'm gonna say yes to this thing. It's that continually they gave themselves to it over and over and over again. No matter what came at them, they persevered and they said yes. They gave themselves to this thing that we call church. This community of God that is devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. And it says that they all were devoted to these things. Not just some of them, not just a handful or one or two, not just the leaders. Everyone was devoted. Everyone was together and giving themselves to these things. I am not the church. John is not the church. Your life group leader or your favorite worship leader is not the church. We are the church, all of us together. That's what makes up this thing we call church. That's what makes a community. It's not just one or two of us. It's all of us together saying yes to this. And that looks like something. You know, we we talk about the kingdom and it's not just like a concept or idea. It, It actually looks like something. The kingdom of God looks like something. And so in order for us to know what it looks like, we have to look at what the king looks like. Because you can't have a king without a kingdom and vice versa. You you don't get one without the other. Because the king gets to decide what his kingdom looks like. He gets to dictate what happens in it. He gets to reign over it however he wants. So our kingdom is King Jesus. And King Jesus shows us what community and family are. He shows us what loving one another looks like. He shows it to us at the cross, that he would give everything to us, to be with us. And 1 John 3, 16 says that by this we know love, that he laid down our life for us, and likewise, we should do the same for our brothers. We're called to love one another like Jesus did. There's a cost to it. It's going to cost you something to say yes to community. It's going to cost you something to to say yes to the family of God. But it's worth it. 
Your brothers and sisters are worth it. I uh, work with a ministry called David's Tent, and it's a 72-hour nonstop worship music festival. And as you can imagine, 72 nonstop hours of music and people, in, it's in a field, it's a big tent in a field, it's a lot of chaos. And I'm on the event management side of it, so my David's Tent experience is chaos. It's, it's a lot happening. I, I, I sleep maybe three hours a night at David's Tent. Um, I live off of coffee and sweets and clementines for the week. Um, I, uh, I, I'm on my feet walking for upwards of 16 hours a day. Um, because of my role, when people get angry, I'm usually the one they yell at. Uh, when, when witches come on site, which does happen, spiritual warfare is a real thing, um, I'm usually the one they curse because I'm usually the one who has to tell them to stop. It's great. It's great. So it's, it's a lot, right? And it's not just me. Everyone on our, our team, everyone on the, the event team is doing those things. Everyone's getting a lack of sleep and a lack of good food and is exhausted and is emotionally and physically and spiritually and mentally spent. But there's always a moment when I'm in this big tent and I look out and I see thousands of my brothers and sisters worshiping King Jesus. And you see the healing and the breakthrough You see people getting their identity and purpose from the Lord. You see these hearts of, of affection and devotion and coming back to him. And I look out and I think, Jesus, your people, they were worth it. And he, without fail, always says, yeah, they are. I know the cost of of creating this space for his people. I know the cost of my friends who have helped lead it. I know the financial cost. I know the time cost. I know the energy cost. I know it. It costs us something, but his people are worth it. My brothers and sisters are worth it. You are worth it. And the person on your left and your right is worth it. Now, we're going to fail. We are. We, we can say this. We can believe it. But we are going to fail at it. It's, it's just the reality of being a human. Humans are messy and imperfect, and we mess up, and we sin, and we have limitations, and so we aren't always able to show up for people the way they need us to or want us to. Wish it wasn't true, but just the reality. We're going to fail at this, and if we fail at it, that means everyone else is going to fail at it too, right? Because they're humans too. They're messy and they're imperfect. But when that happens, when 
your Christian community when your brothers and sisters fail you, which they will, when they disappoint you or let you down, when they hurt you, we have a choice in how we respond. We can either respond out of anger and bitterness and resentment, act out of of fear and refuse to be vulnerable with anyone ever again, or we can respond like Jesus. And these last two years of isolation and, and separation from one another, I see way more of the former than the latter. I see way more people having a lack of grace for their brothers and sisters. I see way more people assuming the worst instead of believing the best. And instead of, you know, calling someone up and saying, oh man, like this thing happened and, and I'm, I'm feeling hurt by it. Can we talk? Can we talk about this? Instead of thinking, oh, like I know they're, they're going through a lot right now, so they, they've forgotten this thing, but, th- but that's okay, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll try to catch them on Sunday. Or asking just the question, hey, like you said this thing, what did you mean by that? Right, instead of having connection and relationship with them, we assume the worst. And we think, oh, they, they didn't do that, so they must be this. Oh, I can't believe they said that, gosh, what a jerk. And we, we slander and we, we act out of, out of hurt and we judge and we persecute and we accuse and we do everything that is in direct opposition of what King Jesus tells us to do in those situations. Because he's really clear about how we handle these, these circumstances. He, he outright tells us, he says, uh, Colossians 3.13, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus himself on the cross, praying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. No one was more hurt by the church than Jesus. No one. And I'm not talking about the religious elite that conspired to see him killed. I'm not, they're not the church. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the church. The community that Jesus loved and was a part of. His family. The people he invested in and gave his life to. The people that he knew and loved and that who knew and loved him. Those people, the church, his community, absolutely betrayed him. When he was dying on the cross, in his hour of of most need, most desperation, everyone left him. They all ran. The only ones to stay with him in, in that moment of need was one of those 12 dudes, his mama, and a couple of the women. That's it. Everyone else left. 
Everyone else didn't show up. These people that he had fought for and loved, they absolutely betrayed him. Even his best friend, even Peter, who's supposed to be like his right-hand guy. The same Peter that Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. That Peter outright denies him three times. What? Listen, I know the church, Christian community, maybe even this community has let you down. Has maybe hurt you. And I want you to know I am so sorry about that. You should not be hurt by your brothers and sisters. That, that isn't right. It's not okay. It's not fair that you experience that. Jesus knows it better than anyone. And he shows us how to respond in these moments. Because the story continues. He, he, you know, he dies and he's raised again. And there's this amazing story in John 21. It's one of my favorite stories in, in the whole Bible. Uh, I, think it's, I think I feel confident to say it's my favorite. It's a really good one. And, and you know, it's, the resurrection's happened, but it's still a lot of uncertainty. Not everyone has seen him raised. Some of the apostles have, not all. Uh, they know they're going to be persecuted, so there's a lot of fear. They're not really sure what's about to happen. And so they decide to go fishing, because why not? They're going to go fishing, right? Uh, some of them had been fishermen previous to the Lord calling them, so they go back to what they knew, which was fishing. So there they are, they're on the boat, and, and who should they see on the shoreline but Jesus? And in this moment, there's a lot of things Jesus could do. He could shout at them. And blame them and point the finger and say, how dare you? How could you do that to me? He could be passive aggressive about it, you know, and do a, oh, didn't think you'd see me again, huh? You know, like, you could, right? <laughs> he, could, he could just ask, why? Why did you leave me? Why weren't you there for me when I needed you? But he doesn't do any of those things. He cooks them breakfast. And he says, come and be with me. Come and eat. He doesn't withhold relationship from them. He doesn't withhold connection. He extends love and grace. He invites them back into community with him. And, you know, he, he does go on to have a conversation with Peter about those outright denials. But he doesn't do it from a place of anger. He, he does it from a place of, oh, Peter, I love you. Do you love me? He does it from a place of, of believing the best in Peter. He just says, I just want to be with you again. I just want to be reconciled. That's what community in the kingdom of God looks like. 
Because remember, King Jesus gets to dictate what his kingdom is. And he shows us that the community in the kingdom of of God, it, it, it looks like forgiveness. It looks like reconciliation. It looks like offering connection before anything else. That is the kingdom that we're building. That's the kingdom that we're called to. But it starts with with that grace. It's the start, it, it starts with recognizing that we have failed other people and recognizing that we probably need to forgive some people who have failed us. So we're gonna have space to do that this morning.